Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. Uh, Jeanette Linfoot here. And today I am joined by two really fascinating guests. This is the first truly international uh, episode of the podcast that we've done. So these are two guys that got together as a joint venture partnership in property um, over the last kind of 18 months or so, really. And they've got a very interesting journey to share, not only because one of them is in the UK and the other is based in Switzerland, but also they have other businesses as well as what they do together in property. So I am absolutely delighted to welcome Jean-Maria Panini and Marcus Cope to the podcast. So great to see you guys. Great to see you, Jeanette. Fantastic. So listen, I think a great place to start, if you both don't mind, is um, to kick off with a little bit of a story around sort of your journeys, really, and, you know, where life started for you and and kind of where you are today. So Jean-Marie, would you mind going first, please? Sure, with pleasure. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I'm originally Italian. Uh, I live in Geneva since uh, 10 years. I moved here after university. Uh, and I stayed. It's a nice place to live and I like it. Um, My uh, background is in the wealth management uh, industry and um, my career as an employee, I've been uh, responsible for uh, setting up and managing the Italian desk of an independent uh, uh, wealth manager. Um, In 2019, I decided to uh, set up my own wealth management company uh, focusing on uh, property uh, with the objective of uh, providing investors the possibility of investing in property uh, on a global scale uh, using the same strategic and hands-off approach which is uh, typically adopted uh, in, in, in the financial uh, industry. Um, this is obviously something that is uh, already available to high net worth individuals with very large sums of uh, money. However, for a and let's say an affluent private investor, uh, often the only option, especially, uh, well, in Switzerland and Italy, where my investors are located, uh, the only av- available option is to basically do it yourself, uh, often in the same city or country where they live, because, uh, of course, it's not easy to manage uh, property from, from a different country. Um, and, of course, this is, in my view, not ideal, as uh, often um, well, not necessarily someone lives uh, in, in a city or in a country where you can get the best mm. uh, investment opportunities in property. So, yeah, my, my goal uh, is to provide uh, my investors the possibility of investing in property uh, without having to manage the investment uh, firsthand uh, themselves and uh, being able to rely on, on someone professional, uh, independent, who is basically taking care of uh, their interests. Uh, so this is what uh, this is what brought me to property. 
Fantastic. That's great. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Gosh, fascinating, um, fascinating journey and where you were and where you are now. So, Marcus, over to you. Thanks, Jeanette. So um, I initially um, started out um, in medicine um, and went to Newcastle. I'm from Leeds originally. Went to Newcastle, studied medicine, then um, went through surgical training, um, did numerous uh, extra um, degrees through that period. So I've got a master's in mechanical engineering as well as um, a medical degree, um, done research and eventually um, culminated in me becoming a, a consultant orthopedic surgeon after spending a year working in Australia in Adelaide as a surgeon over there. Um, then uh, was made a consultant in 2007 uh, and worked for 10 years in the NHS um, and finished um, in 2017. At that point, I was, uh, I was uh, clinical director of the orthopaedic department, um, was managing people as well as uh, uh, being a trainer, won Trainer of the Year Award for our region one year, um, and then went full-time into the private sector um, and then thought, hmm, this leaves me somewhat exposed if uh, anything should happen. So then I had, during that period, just done a, um, a refurb on my own house where I'd, uh, we had a single story extension out the side, lifted that up to a second story extension, had to get planning permission for that, an architect involved. Um, and then that work took about nine months. Prior to that, my only other property experience had been um, a um, flip of a, of a two-bed uh, terrace uh, in Warrington that had just kind of fallen on our lap. Um, ironically, my mindset wasn't quite in the same space as it is now then. And um, it made, I think it made 20000 after tax. And I just spent it all on a car. Never thought to do it again it, because it had just happened too easily. Uh, our financial director, his dad, his father-in-law was a builder and they used to part exchange houses. And he said, we've got a house here that he needs to get rid of quick, motivated seller. Uh, it'll give you a discount on it. Great. We were having a builder do work on our house at the time anyway. So it was like, can you do this? Yep, can do that. Fine. I think the only uh, input I had was uh, I'd really like to see the number in the glass above the door. <laughs> Uh, and yeah did it in two and a half months I think as well so it's quite a quick turnaround for it and um, yeah kick myself for never thinking do this uh, again but that was it that was you know it was just one of those things that happened medicine obviously keeps you very busy but um, yeah so that was my experience into property initially and then obviously after I was going in, uh, full-time into the private sector, I thought I needed to look at another income stream um, to uh, basically risk diverse myself somewhat. And property was the way that I decided to go. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, when we we all met um, when we were doing the mastermind at Progressive mm. Property, and I think it was February 2019. Yeah. Um, I seem to remember it was a bit a bit grey and miserable and, you know, dark in, uh, in Peterborough doing the training. So we were sort of thrown together with a bunch of other really great people, actually. Um, so that's where we met. Um, and obviously, you know, your relationship since then seems to have absolutely blossomed between the two of you, you know, in, in terms of what you're what you're doing now. But, you know, obviously you've 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 got both very different backgrounds, you know, in terms of your med your background in 
in medicine, Marcus, and, and you know, Jean-Marie, your background in wealth management. Um, but still, you've got a common goal and common interest of, of property, right? Um, so do you want to just talk a, a little bit th- about how you decided to partner up together in the joint venture that you've got? Um, and maybe a little bit about what the shape of that joint venture is. Um, and yeah, Jean-Marie, do you want to, do you want to start? Um, yeah, well, um, um, we, as, as you said, we, we met uh, at, at Masterclass Progressive Property and uh, uh, at the time I was uh, basically on, uh, was, uh, on, on, on several trips to the UK uh, in order to build up the network and, and find out more about property. Um, once I decided to, uh, let's say this was the place I wanted to invest, uh, I have been, uh, let's say, hesitant for quite some time. Uh, and whether to uh, partner up with someone, uh, whether to go somehow alone. At the end of the day, um, given my uh, background and the fact that uh, I'm based overseas and the fact that uh, I believe uh, if when, you, when you join forces, uh, the outcome uh, well, at least has the potential to be greater compared to well, when, when you go all alone. Um, yeah, I met Marcus. I had a very good uh, first impression so we started discussing the possibility of doing something together and uh, the way things are organized uh, is that uh, what basically uh, Marcus is on the ground is the property expert Um, I on the other hand uh, I'm taking care of uh, basically getting the finance so um, I'm I'm working with investors uh, investors who are based in Italy and Switzerland uh, who have an interest in the UK property and uh, I work with them in order to uh, well, make sure that we can find some uh, uh, interesting projects uh, to either fund with uh, investors, um, liquidity or uh, to purchase and then uh, offer some kind of a portfolio uh, building service. Uh, so far, I would say that things are going uh, uh, really well. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, Marcus and myself are uh, pretty much uh, in, in line in terms of uh, values, goals, uh, approach to risk. And uh, this is, uh, in my opinion, the reason why uh, th- things are working uh, uh, pretty well, I would say. Fantastic. So, Marcus, you're on the ground um, and, and Jean-Maria is ably looking after the, after the uh, euros or pounds. I'm not quite sure what currency we're in, Jean-Maria, but... <laughs> Or Swiss, actually. We get them all. We get exactly. them, all of them. <laughs> this is great. So, Marcus, from your point of view, the, the joint venture side of it, how's, how's that working? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just go back, actually, because um, Jamri mentioned about how we first got together. So I, I remember from uh, the, uh, the um, progressive um, mastermind, and they, they, one of the trainers had said, if you were open to investment or open to working with people, then um you know you got everyone to stand up didn't they now obviously because of what i do people assume that i was just looking to invest myself rather than actually open to working with other people so i'd stood mm-hmm. up um and i remember didn't really think much about it after that and then jan marie had come um when we'd gone to the bar and said you know would it would he be interested in a conversation to see about where we'd go uh, from there and it basically just went from there we found we got on really well that we as he says our values and um um vision aligns 
quite significantly. Um, and basically the, what I do is I find the deals um, and discuss with this, this, the finance on this side, so the mortgage brokers um, and also deal with um, the day-to-day running. So uh, one of my key skills is obviously with doing medicine is I spend a lot of time talking to people. So I've got quite a big network <laughs> of people that I've basically have built over time. And I would, with the network, look at what skills I was needing to draft in along the way. So I would then find people with those skills that were available and also then also find backstops to other people that so I wouldn't just necessarily find one person and put everything into that. So we've got quite... Um, a wide network of skills that we can rely upon which is great and you know Jan Marie and myself connect up regularly um, and always I like to think we have a good communication between us uh, of how things are going so I think it works really well um, and the funny thing is that the longer you, you're in a business relationship together you realize that they're not all like that at all and you know, people say sometimes to me, they go, it must have been great finding someone that you can work so well with. And I don't think it, I don't think it was luck. I think we spent a lot of time doing the groundwork and dating before we went into the marriage. <laughs> Fantastic. So you didn't go in for the kiss too early, you know? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You've raised, you've both raised some really interesting points, actually. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking in the context of property here, but this is also in the context, I think, of business and any relationship, isn't it? That, you know, I think doing that due diligence up front and really making sure you have got an alignment of values and that you want the same things out of the partnership is so key, isn't it? But um, very often, I think it's, it's an area that does get neglected and can often come back to bite your later on when you've realized actually you're not very aligned um so obviously i think you know that's a great recommendation for anyone that's listening you know if you're thinking of starting a new venture a new partnership make sure you test each other out thoroughly (laughs) at the beginning because it could be quite messy further down the track if you haven't haven't done that and you end up you know like you say getting divorced unfortunately Um, so yeah no that sounds great and and one of the things that you, you you touched on marcus actually, if I can pick up on that, was around understanding what skills you two have together as partners, but then where your gaps are um, so that for your collective property business, where you've needed to bring people in or or whatever. So so do you want to just sort of add a bit of flavor on in terms of how you've created that power team? What kind of gaps were there and how have you gone about filling them? Well, the the, the first is the knowledge, isn't it? in, in medicine, I learned that you could learn a technique, how to do something from one person, and you'll only ever do that. That's, that's what, what your direction will be. Whereas I learned that if I saw multiple people do the same thing, I could pick and choose different things out of it. And it, it set me up for a, a way of approaching how I acquire new knowledge. And it's always like a hybrid um, rather than uh, just relying on a single source of, source of um, information. Um, so, for example, um, we, we do HMOs. Um, I, without them knowing it, I've basically um, gone through an interview process with two or three different uh, HMO um, agents mm. um, just through the course of networking and also finding out about them. And um, 
So we've basically got a, a first choice one and a backup one in case it doesn't work out. And I think you should always work on the assumption that it, you should always have a, a, some reserve there just in case things don't work out. Um, we we never plan, well, I certainly never plan to manage my own HMO tenants because I just wouldn't have the time for it. And again, you know, it, it would be another level of knowledge I'd have to acquire. I understand the baseline of it, of what you're supposed to do and what you're looking at. Um, but it's um, it's it's very much um, a matter of um, finding out what your individual skills are and where you need to put your time to get the best return on that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, great advice. Always have a backup and make sure that you've you know you don't just necessarily go with the first person that you that you meet, whether it's builders or letting agents or whatever, really. And uh, I think there's some some really good points there, Marcus. And and Jean Maria, obviously, you're dealing with a lot of the investors, and you've got some high net worth individuals in your network and in in your sort of wealth management business. Um, what what's important in those relationships that that you built over the years um and in the context of property is there anything specific which means that those relationships are are slightly different than if you were just looking at other asset classes on the wealth management side um well perhaps uh, the question should be directed uh, to my clients (laughs) i can only (laughs) guess why i can only (laughs) guess why why it is working and i believe it's just uh, um very simply transparency and uh, being extremely, extremely transparent and open, and uh, um, because I mean, uh, both in property and on financial markets, uh, things uh, can and actually do go wrong. So um, it, they do; it just happens. So uh, my uh, my idea is that uh, if a person knows that uh, uh, he can, he go, he or she can trust you. Uh, and that uh, she's informed about what is going on, what are the options, uh, what happened, what is going to be done so that uh, the same doesn't happen again in the, the same problem issue doesn't happen again in the future. Well, this is where um, a proper uh, relationship um, gets gets built, and this is also something that uh, for me is uh, is quite relevant with. Uh, with Marcus, because uh, uh, often when you speak about about JVs or partnerships, whatever, uh, it's always you know what do you look for? Do you look for experience, track record? Well, I respect. I mean, obviously, some people are probably looking for a huge track record. In my view, uh, it's just a matter of trust. So mm-hmm. I know that I can I can trust Marcus, and I believe that uh, uh, the people I work with should have the same feeling, knowing that. Uh, uh, well, they can trust me and that uh, I am honestly doing my best in taking care of uh, of uh, their hard-earned uh, uh, <laughs> wealth. So, and with regard to property versus um, other asset classes, well, I mean, of course, we look at uh, different asset classes. I believe that property is great, especially in the current uh, situation of uh, negative interest rates. So for, uh, let's say, um, um, fixed income side of a portfolio. So speaking about a financial portfolio, I think property can act as a as a fantastic replacement, especially uh, in this moment. Uh, but I wouldn't say that there are, let's say, uh, specific uh, differences. Uh, it's uh, again a matter of uh, uh, making sure that the investor is aware of what is going on, uh, being transparent, and uh, always doing uh, 
well, uh, the best uh, in order to, um, to, to, to work in the interest of the investor, which is something that uh, might sound very obvious. However, uh, I mean, uh, being in the industry, especially the financial industry, uh, I would say it is uh, quite rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and are you finding, Jean-Marie, that, as you, you mentioned about sort of negative interest uh, rates over there, I mean, certainly in the UK, you know, it's 0.1% is the interest rate here in the UK. And I think that that is providing challenges for people because if you have, you know, if you have money in the bank, it's a problem. You know, it's going backwards in value once you've applied inflation. And certainly what we're seeing without with our own property business is that people are approaching us and saying, listen, you know, I've got money that I'm not actually, it's not working hard for me in any way. How can I get into property yeah. with you guys? Because, you know, it looks like it's a better, I'm going to get a better return on my in, on my investment. You know, it's it's safe as houses. You know, I don't know if you have that, say, that same phrase over, <laughs> over in Switzerland, but, yeah. you know, sure. they're, they're, it's, it's an attractive, it's an even more attractive proposition. Um, but I'm just very interested sure. from you with your financial perspective when your investor hat on uh, whether that is something that you're seeing is becoming more of an interest to people because of the interest rates that you you know you're not getting in the bank at all at the moment uh, absolutely i mean uh, uh, if today you go to, a, to you walk into any bank and you look for a fixed income investment i mean it's uh, unless you're prepared to take a huge risk, reckless level of risk. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I would say, virtually impossible uh, to go above uh, 2-3%. And we're talking about uh, gross returns. So to take, if you take into account uh, fees and taxes, this equals to a, well, a zero return. Mm. So uh, absolutely, uh, people are uh, looking at alternatives uh, in order to get uh, a fixed return uh, on your investment and uh, property. I mean, Property, it also depends um, where and how, because uh, um, in Switzerland, uh, you can very well invest in property. Um, if you would have invested uh, 20 years ago, you would have had a very good uh, performance uh, in terms of capital appreciation, though, because uh, the rental yield you can get is almost non-existent. Um, in Italy, my home country, uh, you can get uh, a bit more return. However, I mean, the economy is not doing very well. Um, population is shrinking. So I see a rather, I would say, big risk that uh, maybe 4% rental yield that you might be able to obtain might be at some point just uh, eaten up by, well, a loss on the value of the property. So uh, the property, property is an answer to this, yes, but it depends where, so in which country. It is uh, obviously key to find uh, a market which has uh, where, where you can get uh, well um, good rental yield, and at the same time you have uh, well at least at least the hope uh, for some capital appreciation uh, in, in the UK for sure. I mean, if you look at uh, fundamentals, uh, I think uh, uh, the market looks uh, really really interesting, um, and this is why uh, from Switzerland uh, I, I, I identified. Um, the UK is a very interesting market uh, and it's something that um, for, for my investors also allows for uh, some currency diversification, uh, which in the current, um, again, in the current uh, climate, I think is not bad. 
I mean, I don't have a very bright view for the euro. Uh, so, I mean, it's more difficult to discuss uh, British pounds uh, with uh, Swiss residents because, of course, Swiss franc is a rather stable and strong currency. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, on the, on the la- over the last years, it got really, really strong. So, I mean, um, it might also, there might also be the possibility that uh, over the next uh, 10 years, it will go back uh, to where it was. So losing uh, 15, 20, 30 percent, depending on, on which uh, currency pair. Uh, and on the pound, on the other hand, uh, it's possible to get in with a, a rather interesting discount at the moment. <laughs> I love your diplomacy, Jean-Maria. This is great. <laughs> Fascinating. And, and Marcus, you, you mentioned that you're mainly focusing on HMOs. Do you want to just talk us through the, the kind of projects you're doing at the moment, sort of where they are, and, and maybe just a little bit of an overview of some of the numbers, if you're able to share any of them? Just yeah, to give sure, a yeah. flavor. So the first project we did, um, we didn't really start very small. We're doing a, a, a conversion of a, a five-bed terrace to a nine-bed uh, full-on suite HMO professional um, <laughs> property in Warrington. Um, I remember when I start, when we started doing it, we talked about it. I didn't really think much of it. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's, you know, you may as well make a bigger one because you'll make more money off it. And then you start speaking to people that first start doing HMOs and they're doing, well, I did a minimo first. And I was thinking, all right, fair enough. I mean, yes, if you do smaller HMOs, you can get them set up quicker. But, you know, we, we have a longer term view of, 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 um, of our investment strategy and, and we're not going for short term gratification. So for us, setting up, uh, um, you know, a large HMO that will rent for, you know, for the whole of our lives, it seems a much better idea than than rushing in something. So the first one was uh, that we found was um, purchased for 145,000. Um, we but it was interesting because obviously it was just before uh, we bought it in the December time. So it was just before um, COVID started to rear its head. Um, and then we were on a bridge for that. And the plan had been to get a bridge and then do developmental finance, uh, re- refinance it onto developmental finance to do the, um, to pay for the development of it. But obviously, because of COVID, we then became slightly concerned that we could be sat on a bridge for a long period of time without them being able to do any work on it. So we, we got out of that bridge. Um, and then subsequently, the work um, started um, and the they're about well they've taken it all the way back to brick now and i think we're about uh, week four i think it must be um obviously they warned us the builders um that they may struggle to get materials because obviously plasters like gold dust at the minute um but it seems to be progressing well without any touch wood without any major hiccups related to it but a lot of it's due to paying for the experience of other people because obviously it's our first one so we've got a project manager the architect the architect took it through planning for us um ironically when it went through planning it was the first planning application it ever had where he got um 10 out of 10 of the councillors agreed for it to um to go through and thought it was a great idea that the high quality housing was going to be provided for the local community in, in an area that uh, is uh, up and coming so it was great from that. So the development costs work out about 145,000. And then there's additional costs that take the whole um, project up to about 330, I think, off the top of my head. 
Yeah. Um, and then the plan then is once we've been up and running for a while, uh, because obviously we're not classed as experienced HMO landlords, um, we'll then refinance it on commercial finance. Um, and Warrington should have a good multiplier. Um, there was a similar project that was done in Liverpool. That was the nearest one I could find um, that was valued at 400 and 480, I think, for a 10-bed. So right. it looks like the GDV should be very good on it. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like it's a great project. And, and as you say, you took your you took your time to find the right one. Mm. I love, you know, this this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. All right. So that what you've just described there. I think we've <laughs> we, we've got the brave, right? Because you've just thrown you, you've gone in together. You've got the bold, because you're not doing anything small. You started with a bold, you know, <laughs> project. And we just know at the end it's going to be brilliant. So we're gonna we're gonna yeah. wait for the the evidence of the brilliance at the end but I've got no doubt that it absolutely will be so that's fantastic well done guys honestly really excited and and you talked about about being on a bridge at the beginning for mm. people that aren't sort of au fait with um some of the terminology because obviously we're, we're more familiar because we're in the world of property ourselves yeah. but but obviously some people listening who maybe aren't into property and they're, they're into more general business or they might be sort of a startup entrepreneur do you want to just explain why what bridging finance is it can either be both either you marcus or jean maria whoever wants to answer this what bridging finance is and why it can be problematic if you have a delay in a project essentially what's the difference between that and other t- forms of finance okay do you want me to take this jean maria it's okay go on okay and um, so bridging is basically short-term finance so um obviously because it's shorter term it tends to cost more um, than uh, a long-term product such as a mortgage um, or commercial long-term commercial finance so with a bridge typically people are borrowing money between six and 12 months on average sometimes it goes up to 18 months but that's usually the time frame uh, there will be an initial uh, arrangement fee up front there'll be legals that will be added to it um, so it's interesting because you to get the actual APR somewhat difficult sometimes or the annual interest rate yeah. uh, because obviously there's all these additional bolt-ons that you don't necessarily look at initially. Um, they will often lend you up to 75 to 70% of the value of the property, uh, but that's not actually the amount that you get because they will take the interest off at the front end. Um, so then you actually get less. So you have to, you have to, budget for all this at the start now obviously when people first talk about bridging you don't really understand this side of things of how much money you're actually going to get you think yeah 70 percent and you work it all to that but then suddenly you realize actually you're only getting about 60 percent once everything's been taken off but although it's um often more expensive than using investor finance um that it is um it is useful um, when properly leveraged to allow you to do projects that you wouldn't necessarily be able to access. Yeah. And I think that's the point, isn't it? You know, with anything in business or in property, it's, it's choosing what's appropriate for what you're doing at the time, you know, and, and there is no one size fits all. Um, but like you say, unfortunate timing for you guys in that, you know, you just got about to get going. It's pre-COVID and then all of a sudden all the work has to stop and you go, oh, well, I've got expensive finance here that I'm going to have to actually cover the cost of if we can't move it over. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you, were, you did well to move it from the bridge um over to the other financing that you've got now 
Um, so yeah, well done, well done. And and just can I just sort of change tack ever so slightly and um, just talk about I guess how you are both managing the multiple business stroke work areas that you've got um, because as you say, property is is one aspect of what you do um, and the value of having different businesses I mean I'm in the same position we I've got different businesses to create multiple streams of income which is great but that also means you have to be quite I think quite disciplined with your time and how you apportion your time to each of those different commitments that you've got so you know maybe Jean-Marie could you want to talk about how you you're managing the multiple businesses that you've got and, and any sort of recommendations really for anyone that's listening that might want to do have a similar situation themselves well, sure. I mean, uh, working with investors uh, um, is my main uh, occupation. So that's my main focus. Um, however, of course, uh, being an entrepreneur means that uh, there's always uh, many, many things that uh, could be done. And for me, well, um, quite simply, the key is to uh, leverage other people as much as possible. So uh, find those areas where uh, my time is... Um, used uh, at best, where it's more, let's say, profitable, if you want, and uh, try to leverage other people and uh, prioritize. Uh, so always try to address the most important things at first, not the most urgent. Uh, and and that, well, this is pretty much it. I mean, uh, uh, on the other hand, I, um, yeah, it's not like, um, well, I didn't always particularly enjoy being an employee. So let's say that uh, working for your business, as, as, as you know, uh, makes also a difference from this point of view, meaning that, uh, well, if I need to spend a, a weekend working, it's not uh, necessarily uh, something I'm not looking forward. Uh, but again, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Uh, so yeah, really uh, try to use uh, other people as much as possible for what can be, let's say, delegated and uh, prioritized. Mm, okay. Yeah. Great advice, Jamaria. And, and Marcus, for you, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of commitments on the medical side still, haven't you, in terms of, you know, the orthopedic surgeon that you, surgery that you do. How does that play out with, with the property business and everything else you've got going on? And you've got families as well, you know, it's not yeah. just all about work, is it, you know? <laughs> so it, you have to be, the more that you do, I was, uh, you have to be more disciplined to be able to accomplish what you want. And I always remember one of my old teachers always used to say, and I never really understood it at the time, if, if you ever want anything done well, ask a busy man. Um, and, you know, it, it's true to a certain extent because you, you have to make time. So I found that when I wasn't actually working during the last four months because of COVID, it was much harder for me to do things than it was normally during my working day because I don't have to I don't have to I don't have the option of sitting around and procrastinating about it or thinking about it I just do it do it do it do it mm. um, so my life usually is hugely diarized so I was telling someone about this before um, and uh, when we were talking about um, managing time and I basically have on my uh, iPhone six different calendars running linked with different people um, all overlapping onto mine the master calendar um, so I've got my anaesthetists that I work with. There's all the operating slots are um, diarised to them so that they know where they are. Um, I've then got my VA has access to my whole diary. My wife has access to my diary. My kids have access because I'm divorced. So the kids stay with me on, on weekends. So they have 
access to the diary, knowing where they are and when they are. Um, and then um, there's, uh, it's then the property things added in, in in spaces and blocked off for certain times. And look, with, with the ability of going full time private, is my work is condensed to certain areas. So I work full time uh, full time for orthopedic side thing about four four days a week, and usually get a one day one day off during the week to be able to do to concentrate fully on property. But then obviously because I'm self employed in the in the surgical sector, I, I can. Um, stop to make phone calls and things like that so it works quite well the only thing is one of the hospitals that works at work at has because it's in the middle of nowhere has horrendous wi-fi and it drives me nuts <laughs> because i can't do anything i can't i can't look at properties i can't um uh, phone people easily i can't access my emails so it's just like being in a black hole but luckily i'm not there the majority of the time so it, it, it's it, it reminds me um what it's like to not be continually accessing the internet as and when you want to uh, but yeah so that's how i work it and and um yeah it works well i've and i've always set time aside for the family as well so i, I won't work weekends um the viewings are all booked um, I, i've got a va i've got a va over a virtual assistant very early on um that basically coordinates the viewings um so that they're all blocked together um she property scrapes as well so look for, for for properties of interest for me to go and view um so it's quite regimented ironic isn't it the uh, live for freedom and then you're more highly regimented than you ever expected you would be it's like it's always like the thing isn't it when you do your own business i'm my own worst boss <laughs> I, I, honestly you're so you're so true you're so true i mean yeah. that's it i mean i spent most of my life in the corporate world as you know you know running travel businesses and you know and on, on the one hand you crave this entrepreneurial spirit and having this freedom and flexibility yeah. and then and then when you get it you go Oh God! I want a bit of structure. You're going to work an eighty-hour week. There's no <laughs> yeah. holidays. Well, exactly, and, and I think it is. It is. It is important, though, because you know there is a danger. I think when you're entrepreneurial, like we all are, that you don't have the same boundaries um, necessarily that are put on you by other people. If you if you're in a job or you're in more of a, a traditional career, um, you know, and you you can work twenty-four hours a day if you want to. I mean, I'd probably end up single if I did yeah. um you, you know but um you do have to be aware don't you of this you know just sort of knowing when to dial up or dial down and to just make sure that you are blocking out that time for personal stuff as well especially because you're just constantly on with social media you know you yeah. could be it's very distracting isn't it I mean I think we all need a bit of a detox it sounds like you have a forced detox Marcus when you're in that particular hospital yeah. so you, you should enjoy <laughs> it and embrace it my friend <laughs> it's, it's true about the, di the diary works wonderfully I mean it's ironic isn't it that you, you, you should schedule time with your partner or your family so that it seems then spontaneous but it's not it's planned spontaneity but <laughs> you make sure you have it because if you don't then you you find that you're just working and working and never and never get to do things whereas if you if you put segments throughout the year then it's it, you know you have that um, built-in relaxation throughout the time period
Yeah, well, it's that it's that analogy, isn't it, about the about the jar, you know, and you've got the, yeah, yeah. the professor, isn't it? It's there, you know, presenting to these bunch of students, and he puts he puts all these, you know, rocks into this jar and says, "Oh, is the jar full?" Yeah, yes, the jar's full. Then he puts in the pebbles, and they all trickle down. And is the jar full now? Yes, the jar's full now. Then he goes. Then he puts in the sand, and that all trickles down. Is the jar full now? And he goes, yes, the jar's full now. And then he puts in the water. Is it full now? Until it starts overflowing and and I guess the point is, isn't it, that the rocks are your key life areas, you know, holidays, family time. It could be, you know, if you have to exercise. I know you're a big runner, Marcus, as well as I am, you know, that you have to put in those bits that are really important to your life. Then you put in the key result areas. But if you fill the jar full of sand, which, uh, which is minutiae of stuff, you can't get the rocks in. <laughs> And it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite an interesting area. But um, let's, ch- let's talk a little bit about um, mindset and, and kind of how, how each of you face, you know, when things don't go 100% your way, you know, how do you make sure that you, you kind of bounce back from adversity or things like that so that you've got resi- a resilience to keep going? Um, and what's the sort of mindset that you guys try and get into to ensure that you're successful, but you're also happy in, in what you're doing? And I, I'm going to ask you first, Jean-Marie, if you don't mind. Um, well, when something uh, doesn't go according to plan, I think it's quite easy to just get uh, frustrated. And uh, at the end of the day, what happens is just that uh, you just waste a lot of time mm. because while you're frustrated and angry, um, um, whether well, you're not doing anything useful, right? Uh, actually, it's more likely that you're uh, creating uh, additional damage. So uh, what I have learned to do, because I um, uh, it has not always been... Uh, uh, well, it's something that I've learned to do. Uh, well, it's just saying, what can I do in order to uh, solve this problem? Uh, and trying to really focus on only uh, thinking and doing uh, useful stuff. So trying to, let's say, stop uh, any uh, other thought which uh, might uh, insist <laughs> and be very present. But uh, uh, so this on, on the spot, um, and yeah, I mean, uh, after I find it quite useful uh, to just, uh, well, uh, sit and think, uh, why did this happen? Uh, what could I have done differently in a, in a way that uh, this situation would have not uh, presented uh, this way? Uh, and I try to implement uh, ways so that it doesn't occur again uh, mm. in the future. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. Thanks, Yamri. That's really useful, actually, to just sort of have that perspective um, and to focus on the positive things that you can do rather than be frustrated about the things that, you know, you can't really do anything about. Um, and Marcus, for you, how, how important is mindset in, in terms of what you're doing now in your life in general? How, how, how have you sort of, you know, focused on that area? Um, mindset is an interesting one for me because the when people... I think from my property journey, I've had a lot more insight into myself as a person because mm. um, you just used to get on and do stuff. Well, you never really thought about it. Um, whereas now I think that a lot of things that have happened in my life earlier on have, have created who, who I am today and um, the ability to do things. So, so for example, like um, uh, my predicted grades A-level weren't that good because I dicked around a bit too much. 
Um, so um, I, there was never any doubt in my mind that I wouldn't do medicine. Yet I was holding no medical place um, and then went to my first choice medical school um, because I rang them up with uh, one of my teachers on the, uh, the day of the, the exam results came out. And so there was so it was just that thing of that you can do anything you know, if you set your mind on it. And, and my mum was probably the one that instilled that into me from a very early age, that you can do whatever you want. If you want it and you work towards it, you'll achieve it. And, and you know, I am where I am today because of, because of probably those words that have just kept with me. So again, as uh, surgical training is highly competitive. So normally people would have one or two interviews and then go on to higher surgical training. I had 14. Uh, probably because I was a bit bullish and didn't really learn that I should uh, not necessarily argue with people that are interviewing me. <laughs> um, despite <laughs> the fact that they are often proved wrong with what they're saying, uh, I should just doff my cap and say, yes, I understand. Uh, that's a valid point. Well made. I'm sorry. I seem incorrect in my assumptions. But yeah, so that was one thing. Um, but I never stopped. Again, never stopped. Just carried on till, till I was successful. Um, and yeah, going full-time private in, um, when I went into the private sector, again, in, in, that's common down south and in London areas because there's a lot of private practice, but up where I am in the north, northwest, it's, it's very uncommon for people to do that. Um, and I used to continually get from people, you know, you're not worried about your job security and, uh, you know, what happens if things go wrong and, and things like this but whereas uh, it was a calculated decision but uh, you know it, people perceived it as a high-risk decision obviously uh, looking at what happened with covid they are slightly proved right that it was a higher risk decision to make but i could never predict covid um at the time um but um I, you know if i looking back through everything i i'd put it back to my mum instilling into me that you know, if you set yourself on a goal, you know, she was way ahead of her time saying goal setting 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, set yourself on a goal. What steps do you have to take to get there? Um, small steps, you just do it and then you progress to it if you really want it. If you don't want it, then it's fine, you know, and it's what not necessarily the same for everybody. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, for what I love about you two is that you absolutely are clear on what you want to achieve and you've gone out there and you're making it happen. You're making it happen for your individual businesses and, and your medicine, uh, your medical area, Marcus, but you're making it happen together as well. You know, and it's not easy doing this stuff, is it? You know, you have bumps along the road, you have, you know, things that don't always go right, but you're absolutely correct 100%. If you know what you want, and you, you focus on that and you're prepared to put the effort, the hard work and just keep going, you know, you will get there eventually. You only ever fail if you stop, really. And, you know, but unfortunately, probably 95% of the population never really fulfill their dreams because they get stopped in their tracks because maybe their mindset isn't in the right frame of mind or they haven't got the right people around them to support and encourage. And, and you know, so I think we're all you know, quite similar in that perspective that we just think, I always think, well, how bad can it be? I'll give it a go. If I, if I fall, if I fall on my face, I'll learn something, 
you know, how bad can it be? I mean, I remember when I got sent off to Russia, you know, <laughs> I was like, how bad oh, can it be? <laughs> did, didn't really think I'd be buying three businesses in Russia, but hey ho, you know, let's give it a go, <laughs> you know, and, and it worked out fantastically well. Did I learn shed loads? Did I get everything right? No, not all the time. But I tell you what, if I'd not done that, I wouldn't have then become the managing director of the emerging mm. markets and done all the stuff that I've done. So I think yeah. you're right. Sometimes you just have to go for it, don't you? And keep focused you have to on push yourself, don't you? And yeah. Jan Marie and myself have the same view of that um, it's not a straight journey, you, you yeah. know, and there will be problems and challenges along the way. And you just kind of roll with those and you, you work out a solution. And both Jan Marie and myself are exactly of the same. This is why we probably work so well together is that our first question when something goes wrong is, how do we, how do we, what do we do? What, how, how do we solve this? Who do we need to speak to, to find the answer to this? Rather than just going, oh, we can't do this. Let's try something different. Yeah. And that comes back to exactly what you were, when we started the conversation about having shared values and you both mm -hmm. said that, you know, there was the chemistry was right. You trusted each other. Yes, you did your due diligence on each other as a, as a partnership, but ultimately, you know, that you're going to find a solution created because you both want the same things out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a real lesson for anyone starting a joint venture. And can I just ask a question about the international aspect of, of what you guys are doing? Because obviously, you know, there are cultural differences, you know, I mean, Jean-Marie, you're an Italian, you're a, a, a passionate Latino <laughs> Italian living in Geneva. <laughs> and Marcus, you know, is a, is a, a, a very well articulated um, Northern <laughs> surgeon. Northern monkey. <laughs> Northern, no, but seriously, I mean, you know, the, even between, even within the UK, a difference between North and South, you know, there are cultural differences, yeah. but, but how does that play out for you guys, you know, with the cultural, um, aspects you've both got going on <laughs> Jean-Marie I'm going to ask oh. you <laughs> yeah I mean uh, as I was saying I think uh, Marcus and I have um, really the same uh, well we really share both the goals and uh, values uh, which means that um, uh, yeah I mean I've been living in, in different countries in my life I live in Switzerland as a well as a foreigner so I'm, I'm used to the fact that uh, sometimes uh, there might be some uh, well, it also happens some friction uh, due mm. to cultural differences. And I have to say that uh, this uh, hasn't been the case uh, with Marcus because, um, uh, again, we are on the same page. And, uh, and, of course, you can't always plan everything. And sometimes uh, unplanned uh, things happen. And uh, as Marcus was saying, we always have, uh, we always both have the same uh, reactions. So how can we solve this uh, how what's the solution and uh, again we we share a lot of this which makes it i think very well a lot easier to work together uh, i mean f of course for me it would be nicer to be able to uh well um, meet uh, uh more often uh, i mean now with covid uh, it has been a, a while i've been traveling to the <laughs> exactly even more difficult uh, but yeah i would say that um um, yeah, uh, despite uh, the coming from uh, different uh, countries, <laughs> um, uh, we're not uh, facing, uh, at least not from my side, uh, any significant uh, issue from this point of view. Well, the, the distance. So it would be, I would uh, enjoy meeting uh, even just uh, for coffee uh, more regularly, uh, while in our case we meet uh, from time to time and we always have to pack a lot of things to, to, to discuss uh, in those occasions. Uh, but apart from that, um, 
uh, yeah, no, uh, actually, uh, like if we are in the same place. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great to hear. And Marcus, presumably you share those views or, or you yeah, do well, see differences? No. Well, I think we're both global citizens. So I think it helps because of that. Obviously, Jan Marie doesn't live in his home country. He, he works with different investor groups from different countries. Um, and with medicine, I've always worked in different communities with uh, different um, uh, uh, doctors from around the world. So uh, I've worked in other countries myself and my wife's Sri Lankan. So uh, culture deal with different culture related to that. So I think that's why it works because we don't see ourselves. I don't, you know, perceive myself as, as British and completely different to Jan Marie because he's Italian. Uh, we have that very global uh, citizenship type mm. view, which I think makes it easy to work for. Because Jan Marie sometimes talks about his fellow countrymen in, in uh, interesting terms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Funny stories. <laughs> well, yeah. I think there might be some more. There might be a follow. There might be a follow up um, podcast coming up, and we can talk <laughs> about that in more detail. Maybe in physically in person with a nice glass of a nice glass of Chianti, Jan Maria. Yeah. <laughs> Great pleasure. I'm always up for that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And Jean Maria, just just a, qu- a question in terms of the investor side again. Um, did do the investors um, are they hands off investment in your property business? Essentially, you and Marcus own own the assets, um, or do they also have an interest in the equity? How does it work? Well, we we offer different uh, uh, solution, different possibilities uh, in order to let's say match what the investor is looking for uh, in terms of, let's say, personal preferences, but also um, to make it uh, fiscally uh, well efficient, because of course, different structures have uh, are dealt with in a, in a, in a different way uh, and, and have different implications. Uh, we work with loans, uh, we can join venture with investors, we offer portfolio building services, where the investor is holding the property in his own name or on the name of a company. Um, and we, we take care of the ongoing management. So we're, we're quite flexible. Um, um, most of the time, uh, it's a matter of uh, dealing with uh, personal preferences and sometimes, uh, well, you know, fixed mindset of, of investors who have clear ideas. They want to do things this and in, in a specific way. And, um, well, this is the way it has to be done. <laughs> and, uh, and, and also from a taxation point of view, because working with um, overseas um, uh, investors uh, introduces a whole a whole level of uh, complication in terms of uh, withholding tax and let's say international uh, taxation uh, uh, system, uh, which means that uh, it could be that uh, for some people a loan is more efficient compared to a, a JV or let's say so the structure has to be adapted and um, and this is what we do. Um, right. Yeah, so lots of different options then. Um, which it, bring, it brings in, obviously, yes. dealing with international inter- investors brings in another uh, complexity to things and you have to make sure that you work things through so that it's efficient for them from a tax perspective, which Jamboree deals with that side of things. Yeah, no, fantastic. That's great to know. And so I've just got one one um, kind of last question for each of you, if I may. Um, so what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And Jean-Marie, you can go first. The best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Oh, I've, uh, I think I've been given uh, a lot and I always uh, 
try my best uh, to to retain. So um, I would have to actually think about this because uh, I'm, it's not uh, easy to uh, pick on one. I've, I've, as I said, I've had many and I've uh, used uh, uh, several with very good results. So I'm not able to pick on one right now. Let me ask you a different question then, if I may. What If you were giving one piece of advice to someone um, in business or in life, actually, whichever you want, what, what advice would you give to someone else that was in, in business? A good way to, to put it. <laughs> uh, well, to invest in yourself. Uh, just in invest in yourself, which is the, the, the best and most uh, lucrative investment uh, you, you will ever do. Yeah, it's the best return for isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Mm. And Marcus, so you've got you can choose which question you want. You can either talk us through the best <laughs> piece of advice you have been given, or you could give us a piece of advice from you, mm. which whichever you prefer. Okay, so I would say be the best that you can because there's little competition there. Very good. Very good. Very wise words from both of you. I honestly, I have really enjoyed chatting. We could go on for hours. We might have to do a follow-up, seriously. <laughs> once once the, once your uh, project has reached brilliance and you're on to the next and the next bigger things, we should have a follow-up if you'd both be up for that. Yeah, definitely. If Jamie's up for it. Great pleasure. Fantastic. Listen, honestly, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved speaking with you both. I honestly, I can't thank you for your time because I know how busy you both are and the listeners are going to, there's so much gold in here. There really is. So thank you so much for being brave, bold and brilliant, both of you. So I will, thank I will, you. yeah, but thanks a lot, both of you. Cheers, Jean-Marie and thanks, Marcus. Thanks for having us on. Bye. Thank you.